Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. G'day, man. How are you? Hello, Andrew. I'm doing very well. Thanks for coming in on a Wednesday. I know. Can you believe it? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> a bit like last week, we've, we've just been a bit under the gun this week, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, I mean, it's great, but it's also very hectic, and we'll uh, fly by the seat of our pants. That means we may, be, we may be skimming on a bit of ice here, so okay. don't don't send in questions. We'll go home and we'll be safe. We'll yeah. well, one, of, one of the things I want to talk about today, it's not our major theme, but it's interesting how it has evolved during the week as a major theme, mm, yeah. is this the difficulty that Australia is facing with the talent shortage. Yeah. Yeah. And the behaviours around the world which are being evoked by that yeah, talent shortage, which yeah. I want to, want to deal with briefly. Mm. Uh, we've seen our Home Affairs Minister come out and mm. look at temporary worker, skilled worker, yeah, which skilled worker. Yeah. 43,200 is a minimum, I think it was, or something Yeah, it was like roughly 53. Yeah. yeah, and that hadn't been changed since 2013. Yeah, the Abbott government had paused it. Yeah, yeah. it's as surprising as that may sound. <laughs> but Labor, honestly, their commitments has elevated that, and, and that elevated on the basis that what we want, don't want to see is the exploitation of foreign workers. That's right. And so you'd expect a wage rise to something like 61, 62. Yeah, days. But yeah. instead, we've seen the other arm of labour mm. reaching in, which is the unionised arm, and making that $70,000. That's right, you know, a 30% increase. Right? Well, when you look yeah. at the on-cost of bringing someone from overseas, mm. so if you add fifteen to $20,000 mm. on top of that of the on-cost, mm. you're now looking at somebody who's too expensive to use. Yes, yeah. And so we've got this great thing where Australia is focusing on migration, which is skilled. Yeah. And it's put in a buffer that makes it unaffordable at the same mm, time. Mm. And you've got to wonder why these two parts of labour, one saying, look, we, what we can't allow is exploitation, mm. but we must encourage foreign labour to come in. And yeah. that's going to be the focus. In, as we recut migration, mm. it's going to be an easier pathway. Mm. And then we say to the host employer, who must be the employer and give the undertakings in respect to that employee, a figure that they're not going to be able to swallow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's unusual to see that tension play out so obviously in, in our space, but it's going to cause real problems. You can't have your cake and eat it too. No, and it's the problem of a divided party, mm. can I just say? Yeah, that's very fair, Andrew. I think that's a good read of the politics. You know, <laughs> and there you can hear actually two voices speaking at the same mm. time, and you know, for anyone who doesn't understand that, that's called noise. Yeah. That's yeah. just called noise. That's so anyway, look, that's the first part. Well, mm. I wanted to start that. That's not a politics issue, but it shows how conflicting policy can actually mm. damage a labour vision, which is critical for us at the mm. moment. Because mm. we know in relation to skilled labour, were we to fully invest in a skilled labour program internally, it would take seven to ten years to meet our labour needs. Yes. So actually mm. discouraging migration is a dumb and stupid thing to yeah, do. Yeah, and you added the impact of the closed borders after the pandemic as well, Andrew. Now, we've also seen a change in Victoria in relation mm. to child labour legislation. We've seen the muffin break case emerge. Matt, yeah. talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the Victorian government has recently tightened up regulations around child employment. And you would think, you know, at first blush, that seems like a bit of an unusual topic. But it's interestingly quite topical at the moment because... We've seen in the context of this issue of labour shortage, businesses look for alternative sources the of jam. Labor. The jam. So we saw it in New South <laughs> Wales. Jam. That's <laughs> New South Wales, which doesn't have a child employment law, child labour act as Victoria does. Uh, primary school, 12-year-old children working in a jam factory putting jam into jam jars. It's shameful, isn't it? It's really fascinating. We've seen in America where now Absolutely. a number of states have actually abolished child protection. Exactly, yeah. It's going back to sort of the uh, industrial era. <laughs> yeah, we've well, got the Kinsey things where people are walking in troughs so they That's can stand right. up all day. But That's I right. think muffin break is a very yeah. serious prosecution. Yeah, over 300 charges in relation to three children 
um, under the age of 15 who weren't given proper breaks, were required to work at hours that they shouldn't have and weren't subject to someone's supervision who had a working with children's check. So, so real sort of, you know, classic examples of exploitation, but there's some serious penalties that could be issued here. And it's one of a continuing trend of both seeing these sort of cases come along because people are increasingly apparently using child labour, um, but the wage inspector are also yeah. putting it under So I, Can I just say to you, I know none of you are going to do this, but mm. I think what Matt and I want to highlight is there are a number of things that are starting to happen as we have talent shortage. Yes. And there are some which have significant penalties. And so when you're out there chatting to people who think it's a clever idea to have 12-year-olds packing jam, mm. the answer is no. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go on to probably what is one of the more interesting cases. We've seen the new legislation come through yep. dealing with sexual harassment, the stop yep. orders, mm. but also the capacity to seek compensation. Yes, and our first prosecutions occurred in yeah, less than... less than two months. So when you compare it to the stop sexual harassment order jurisdiction, which really took you know, well over 12 months for us to any, get a sniff of anything and it's barely had any jurisprudence, two months and we're already seeing the first application made, both for the order to stop sexual harassment and seeking other orders, including for compensation. So I think yeah. we're really seeing this... I should call the prosecution. Sorry, that's the wrong No, no, that's, that's the first okay. thing. Yeah. Look, the interesting part about this, Matt, is like, we were both right and wrong about this. Yeah. yeah Matt right. tried to tell me the Fair Work Commission had authority to actually order, and I said, said to him the lines like, mm. you wouldn't put a fox terrier, <laughs> a fox terrier to guard a prison camp. Uh, and Matt was right. Mm. They actually are allowed to order compensation, but like in general protections mm. claim, so is the federal court, and nobody in their right mind would stay in the Fair Work no, Commission. No, absolutely, either. absolutely. But it is interesting because plaintiff lawyers will jump on this. Yeah, and it's a trend that we've discussed, and it's interesting, you know, with this first example happened so quickly, two months, so long leading for new provisions. There. No, 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 let's jump because, geez, we've got a lot on. I know we do, Andrew. I know, so yeah. let's go to the next case. Yeah. So our next case is the firefighter case. Oh, yeah, we had a good chat about this one. Yeah, yeah. look, yeah. This, is, this is a case of a guy in a Facebook group. Yep. Past and present employees. Yep, exactly. Don't know the gender diversity of that at no, all. Really. No, so we don't know whether no. it's men or women or just yep. men. Whatever it was, he shared a new, new image. It wasn't yep. of a girlfriend. It wasn't of no, a fellow not colleague. New, not a colleague, just um, any random woman, apparently. And he was, his employment was terminated. Yeah. Courageous thing to do with that union back at any stage. Yeah, absolutely. But yep. very interesting, terminated as a result of the policies and procedures. That's right. That. And this has to yep. be one of the classic reminder cases. Oh, it's, it is. You know, it's all the policies that you've known and loved, social media policy, proper IT use, code of conduct. But the real issue here was that the commissioner was scathing, scathing in the fact that... What was all, it, man? Scathing? No, just yeah. Just, <laughs> But it was said very clearly, the training that has occurred here is insufficient. All you have done is online modules for this training. It was the sort of, you know, to use one of my classic phrases, the set and forget policy. It is the set and forget. And like, can we just put a sword to online yeah, training? Yeah. It is horseshit. It, you know, it's I know it's yet. convenient, yeah. but the reality is, Neuropsychology of people is mm. they connect and understand by presence. And all of us have been through mm. this with COVID and the difficulty mm. of virtual connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. You need to satisfy yourself someone is competent. You need to actually look them in the eye. Mm. To know someone is understood, mm. they need to be looking you in the eye. Yeah. And this idea that you can have multiple choices and you can choose mm. and, yeah, you can fail and you can go back and do it again, it's rubbish. Yeah. yeah. And it forgets our obligation to people, which is to say, we talk to you about what is good. We don't diminish it by making it something you've got to turn on your screen and tick yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. That sort of bullshit just mm. doesn't wash and it's not real and everyone knows it's not real. It's yeah. just 
a symbolic gesture to say Absolutely. we're doing. Yeah, and then importantly, the law is recognising that now as well. So, you know, despite the fact that that would be ubiquitous, having online trading, mm. we've got commissioners of the Fair Work Commission saying that's not enough, you need to have this face-to-face And Matt, I don't know how long we've been saying that, mm. but it's nice to hear some resonance. Yeah, in 2023. Yeah. yeah, so, look, I think this is a great case to remind people that when you have a policy, you don't just train them as they come through the door in mm. induction. It's based on level of risk. Yes. So... Social media is an ongoing risk. Absolutely. It's the sort of thing where you do your yearly training, but then you do slice training different groups. Yes. You'd be aware of risk and you might go to a group of people and do mm. them more. And you'd be very clear about enforcement with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, wasn't here and, as mm. Matt said, the commissioner was. Scathing. I just thought we'd have that. <laughs> okay, let's jump to the next case, Matt. So the next case, yeah. this is an interesting case. Mm. I think Nina and I said a few weeks ago, and I just did a presentation to Southeastern Business Network saying, outside of psychological hazards, which is something which all regulators have now put to the top of their priority. For the last five to ten years, mobile plant, motorised plant, Mm. and falling from heights Mm. has been a real focus. And what we've seen in the cases over a ten-year period is ten years ago, somebody fell from four metres like this poor baby Mm. did Mm. and died. You would have seen a primary duty breach with a very Mm. significant penalty in those days of somewhere yes. between two hundred and three hundred thousand. That's right. Yeah. About five years ago, we started to see that move towards being charged with reckless endangerment mm. because the knowledge of the risk was so yes. so high, mm. and the methods of preventing the risk are so obvious and so notoriously known. Yes. Yeah. And what we've seen today is the first case of a falling from height, which has now been elevated to an industrial manslaughter. Yeah, which is huge. It is absolutely. So huge. Look, there's no decision made here. This is just a no, charge. No, just to say. Um, yeah. What's happened is, as always, there's been charges under all provisions leading up yeah, to it. Yeah, that's right. And the industrial manslaughter. Absolutely. Charge. So, yeah. can you just accept from us what we're saying in this category and take it on with psychological hazards, the same Mm, thing. mm. You'll have a tariff-setting process that goes on where the regulator starts off at the low level, builds it up, builds it up, and Mm. builds it up, and psychological hazards, I can guarantee you. In years years from now, Well, I'd say in three or four years, they'll leverage it up. But be aware, falling from heights is utterly preventable. Yes. Okay, let's go. By the way, just for those who want to know what the earlier case was that started that ratcheting stage, the last ratcheting case was a case called Montague Cold mm. Stores, mm-hmm. where very significant fines were given as a primary duty breach. Mm. Since then, we've seen in New South Wales, Queensland, Victoria, reckless endangerment charges yeah. for falling from heights. So just yeah. putting it up there. Yeah. Okay, sorry, Matt, I went on. No, well, there. relevant reckless endangerment for our next case as well. This is the employee with the bull bar and the yeah. heel of the South Australian. Talk, talk about the facts because I'm not across the facts. No, I only want five or six yeah. years to go with it. Yeah, so it was a tow truck driver. He attends a truck, the, uh, the bull bar while he was with on the truck gives away and it results in an injury actually to the owner of the vehicle because it rolls into that person. So yeah. a very clear, serious injury. So the important part about this was the test of recklessness has been thought by many people to be the probability of probability, serious injury. Yeah. That doesn't bear doesn't bear an understanding because if you read the, the words of it, it's very clear. Yes. But what the what the full court found in this case that is the possibility, possibility. of serious injury yeah. and then the carelessness or indifference to that injury that gives yeah. rise to the elements of the charge. Yeah. So probability is greater than 50%. Mm. The possibility is it could. an educated person would mm. understand that is yeah. possible. It's huge, yeah. huge difference. So it is a massive difference mm. and shows how easy the courts are moving to get reckless endangerment in as a charge. Absolutely. It used to be very hard because that's quite a complex test of what is reckless. Yeah, absolutely. I'm speaking quickly because we're going to keep it. No, I know we've got time. No, we, well, we don't have time. We don't have time. <laughs> Okay, so our next case that we're going to chat about is the AMF case, which is an yeah. enterprise bargaining case. Yeah. Matt, 
I think your analysis is this just shows what happens when a whole lot of people think it's clever to fill an enterprise agreement with rubbish. Yes, yes. I think did that's my, that, did it's I my thesis for the next case. This, is the, one, this is the one about the pre-work safety with the rat test. <laughs> we'll come back to what yeah. I just said. <laughs> That's right. it, it's very similar. It is similar. It is in the context of an enterprise agreement. Well, it's relevant. Matt, one and zero. <laughs> we have had some recent decisions that you would have seen last year about employees being required to take time out of the day to put PPE on in a COVID context. This, so, so can I just say, yeah. and the law has always been for that pre-wash, post-wash sort of mm, thing, yeah. it's ordinary rate of time pay, Absolutely. it's not over time. Absolutely. Here, a little bit different. Employees required to undertake a rat test at home send confirmation of the negative test before they're allowed to. So this is the case where they went and argued the most complex way when that's it was right, actually, there was yes. a really simple yes. answer. Spot on, spot on. That's so right. the complex that's part right. was they actually determined what is work under yeah. the enterprise agreement. Yeah, they looked very technically at the meaning of work and said, oh, it's got to be at the workplace and it can't be at home and all this sort of nonsense. But Andrew, very fairly, you picked up on the key point. Well, the answer, the answer is there is an obligation set in statute, Section 25 in Victoria and replicate everywhere else, that a worker must exercise reasonable care to prevent injury to himself or others. Mm. It's a fitness for work mm. issue. A known risk in the context of an aged care home for nurses. Yeah. Wouldn't have thought it would be a hard so, argument to run. In other words, there is no method by looking at someone to determine whether they're injured in the sense of an illness of COVID. Yes, yeah. So the obligation falls with the worker to determine mm. as a matter of law mm. and to demonstrate as a matter of law that they're fit for work for something which is a hidden risk. Absolutely, okay. absolutely, yeah. Hard to sort of understand why that wasn't the argument, but it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Probably just a couple of too clever people sitting in the room at the wrong time. I think, I think we, we've talked before that lawyers are inclined to become siloed by the particular talent it's they execute okay. every day. Yeah. And people who are used to dealing with enterprise agreements mm. become obsessed by the words in the enterprise yeah. agreement than, than understanding yeah. the integrated nature of workplace law. That's right. But the fact is safety law is king. It is. Absolutely. Well, actually, it's king and queen, just yes. that there's a gender neutrality. Yes, that's fair. Yeah. But it, it absolutely dominates all other laws, including mm. privacy law and a whole lot of laws. Yes, exactly So right. you've got to understand when you're an HR person, you're wearing actually a number of different hats mm. when you're dealing with workplace. Yeah. You're dealing with workers' compensation, you're dealing with privacy, you're mm. dealing with discrimination. All that composite of law is people law. Yeah. And this case seemed to be forgetting part of people law. I think it did, yeah, absolutely, Andrew. And it ended up in a wild, technical, detailed decision. Yeah, which went off the pages. It did. Which you can tell I didn't read. Before. <laughs> okay, Matt, next case. Let's go on to the case yes. that I wanted to talk about. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, look, a great classic example, something Andrew and I talk to clients about all the time, when you can avoid it, don't make your enterprise agreements overly complicated for the sake of making them overly complicated. Because here, an employee was found to lawfully be entitled to refuse a, a direction to perform duties that weren't under their classification. And really, it was even though the duties were necessary. Well, that's right. Yeah, they put in an automated gate. It literally took 10 minutes out of his day to watch a video and check to see if someone who was at the gate work out if they had the credentials or not. So he could do it in the course of his ordinary duties. Yeah. But it wasn't included in the classification structure, which was built around training modules, reference to appendixes, sort of back forth. So let's, let's be candid about this because mm. you and I do a lot of enterprise work. We do. When I started off doing enterprise agreements, they were three pages yeah. and they'd incorporate the award where it wasn't yeah. relevant. But what we're seeing is a whole lot of irrelevant crap being pushed into yes. it, particularly yeah. from the union side who yeah. tries to win ground on capacity, win ground on occupational health yes. and safety, and particularly wants to win ground 
on commons. Yes. And so they deliberately insert these clauses, but nobody, because they're not highly skilled lawyers who are doing it, mm. understands the interaction of this. No, until it goes wrong. Until like it goes, and here we are having yeah. a massive piece of litigation mm. where you actually can't direct your worker to do yeah. a job, which is critical for the it's safety. It's something so simple, and it comes yeah. back to the safety point, yeah. Andrew, absolutely. All right, I think we're onto the main topic. Please say we're onto the main topic. I think we are onto the main topic. We are yeah, the main yeah, topic. Yeah, Look yeah, at that. Yeah, it is. Now, Matt, we're going to talk about this at a high level very quickly yes. and come back to the case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, alcohol and drug testing is something which was essentially blue collar. Yeah. Going back 25 years ago, when Matt was not born probably, that's Oh, actually, I thought that was but no. <laughs> um, there was a New Zealand case which dealt with airlines that talked about what you needed to do mm. for alcohol and drug testing. It mm. became a law throughout Australia and New yeah, Zealand. Essentially yeah. what it said is, Look, there's got to be an identifiable risk to actually undertake it. Yeah. For random testing, it must be a high-level risk. Yes, that's and right. And it must be genuinely random. Yeah. And you have to have a policy and procedure which you have consulted with people on yep. that you've then trained and assure they're competent yep. and they understand the risk that a breach could lead to termination. And yep. it needs to be educational in nature, not yes. just punitive. Yeah. And there was a stand that existed at that time, mm. which is the Australian and New Zealand stand that dealt with it. So mm. that was that case. But what's been emergent over the last five years, yeah. is it started to sneak into white collar, hasn't it? That's right, yeah, and in a bit of an unexpected way because, as Andrew pointed out, traditionally it was always really this primary focus about safety, about beware that intoxication could cause a risk to the health and safety of others. In and that was the primary risk. risk. That was the primary the risk. The primary risk, yeah. that's right. But what we've increasingly seen in this white collar space and really this case, the, the Robert uh, Hunter case is a great example of it, is this bleeding into the blue colour, sorry, the white colour, excuse me, where it comes to the performance of the role and the standard of the performance of the role and those duties, you know. Yeah. In this case, it was a financial services employee who turned up to work on a Friday with all the physical exhibiting signs of being intoxicated. He smelt like alcohol, he had bleary red eyes, he was clearly hungover. And his work really was to provide financial advice to people. Now, there was some issue of fact about the fact that there was no tests taken at the time, there was a drug and alcohol policy, but it wasn't quite well aligned with any of the Australian standards, it didn't talk about safety and so on, it was the more punitive, punitive form. Can um, I just, and, but just, to, just to give a bit of a mm. highlight to this, I don't want you to rely much on this judgment. No. Because as Matt explains it, I want you to understand, clear the Commissioner in this case made a decision around credit and then fitted the facts and the decision That's around right. So the facts aren't that good, but fin please finish. I just want to put that in Yeah, yeah. Case. So And the commissioner said, look, even though you don't have the tests, I'm going to conclude based on the witness evidence that he was intoxicated, even though his evidence was that he'd had one or two drinks and no one else could give evidence about the number of drinks he had had. So that's the main issue. But on that basis, the commissioner said, because you've got this policy, and he needs to perform his duties in providing financial advice at a proper and high standard, I'm satisfied that that intoxication inhibits his ability to perform his duties, not in a safe way, but just perform them to the proper standard. And on that basis, found that the dismissal was fair. Yeah. And look, I think on that basis, this decision is going to grow. Absolutely. And, and yeah. we've seen a few yeah. decisions before that have yeah. picked it. Can I just say, without testing, Regulation 107 is a reverse onus provision yeah. and is under the influence of alcohol. In the old case, on under the influence is smashed off your child. That's right. So, yeah. so there is an enormous amount of risk that sits around his decision, which is it's not a happy decision based on law. Yeah, I think that's It's fair. a decision yeah. where he yeah. thought the guy was smashed off mm. his face and mm. formed that view and thought, how can I stitch together an argument against that's him? That's right. That's my feeling. Yeah. I'm sorry yeah. to the commissioner. Watching <laughs> but 
the things that don't change about this mm. is alcohol and drugs are inherently dangerous. Yeah. So there's although, although there is a focus, and I, and I wish the Commissioner had thought about safety law when mm. he said it, the moment I have a drink and I jump in a car, I create a risk. So yeah. when I leave work, I'm sent home. Mm. You'd never let me get in a car. No, absolutely okay. not. So there is an inherent risk to that person and other people's risk when they consume alcohol and drugs. Mm. That's just the truth, and that's what safety law exists around. When you go to introduce a policy like this, then safety law says you must consult with it thoroughly, yep, absolutely. which requires a risk profiling. And part yep. of the risk profiling here would be your capacity to undertake the work. Yeah, that's and right. And that's what this case gives us the way through. Absolutely. Under absolutely. an award, it's the type of thing that could lead to termination. It absolutely could. And so it could be a major change. I think it probably is I a major agree. change. Yeah. And therefore, consultation in the process of risk analysis and then in the delivery of it, mm. two different stages yes. is required. Mm. And then people must be competent. They must understand yeah. You might consult, but that doesn't mean they're competent. No, exactly. So then there is another layer of training yes. and competency testing. Yeah. And if you can't do that, and then the policy must have the methodology mm. that is recognised for appropriate testing. By the Australian standards. A lot of the Australian yeah. standards. So, yeah. look, I just want that law hasn't changed. No. But as Matt's been so articulate about, what's changed mm. is, is the primary risk that's being yeah looked at. Yeah. It's saying, yes, safety is an issue and safety can be the bigger issue. Yes, yeah. Blue collar. Yeah. But white collar, if you're unable to do the inherent requirements of your job mm. as a result of being intoxicated, mm. whatever that degree is, yeah. and you've got a policy that defines mm. it, you get around Regulation 107. Yeah, that's the big change. That's, that's, that's the home run, isn't it? Is. If you get your yeah. policy right, yeah. you go around. You've got a serious misconduct. Okay. Yeah. You're laughing. There you go. We didn't go too over time, did we? No, no. no so let's jump into the case yeah, study. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, I'll read it, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, so no, you you read read it. like you're about to read it. Yeah. Uh, Jonas had been working with Membrae Accountants, MA, for 21 years. He was a senior manager. His relationship had soured with his wife, who he suspected was having an affair with his best friend. True or not, he left the matrimonial home on Friday the 21st of April 2023 and stayed at a hotel. When he arrived at work in the city office on Monday the 24th of April, he appeared unwashed, dishevelled and smelling of alcohol. He sat alone in the open plan office and was observed to cry. His manager approached and asked him to come to a meeting room. When he arrived at the meeting room, there was an alcohol oh, test, sorry, on the table and a document headed alcohol and drug policy. Not a koala. That's no. A, that's a, you looked at the koala. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I was so like, oh, a koala test? Yeah, that's an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> you got to play the government. Yeah. <laughs> His manager proof handed him the policy. There was a blur to him. He had never heard of it, never been consulted on it, and pushed it back across the table. She explained it was a lawful direction. She had cause to believe he was under the influence of alcohol. He looked up at Prue, his eyes full of tears, and said, in the last 72 hours, I have lost my wife, and now you want, me to, I want to take my job away. You can F off. He turned to leave, and she said, I direct you to go home, and we will meet again tomorrow at 10 a.m. He left the building. When he returned at 10 a.m. the next day, he was tidy and neat with his wife as a support person. Prue explained at the start of the meeting that Jonas had refused to comply with alcohol testing as required under MA's policy. Jen, Jonas's wife, explained there is no doubt Jonas was drunk. He had wrongly formed the view she was having an affair and went on a three-day bender. Both Jen and his best friend have rallied around him, made him feel safe in the marriage, and as a teetotaler, it is unlikely he will drink again. I think we had a... Oh, there's more. Oh, there were exceptional circumstances. This was the first time... Jen, Jen, Jen. I'll speed through it. There was, this was the first time he consumed alcohol in memory. Jonas cried throughout the meeting. Sorry, I should not laugh. That. Prue said she heard all that, but he created a risk to himself, others in, and their business by attending work under the influence of alcohol, and she was summarily terminating his employment for breaching the drug and alcohol policy 
drug and alcohol policy that required, amongst other things, two things. One, not to attend work affected by alcohol, and two, to submit to an alcohol test when directed upon reasonable cause. It is noted the policy did not have a verification of the handheld test and did not comply with Australian standards. All right, we've definitely got questions. We do have questions. And I read those. Yeah. My, my question really was, was the policy enforceable? And the yeah. answer is no. no. Big old no. no. No consultation under health and safety. No consultation under the award if one was No training and competency. No, exactly and right. no method, approved method of testing and yes. regime around it, which is safe and possibly yeah. fair. Yeah, so the content of the policy and the manner in which it was introduced both rendered it unenforceable. Yeah. Was there a valid reason summarily terminate Jonas' employment? I think no. I mean, he... Harder question. Yeah, a harder question because, you know, the... Through his proxy, the wife admits to being intoxicated at work. And, it, you know, there is a safety And that meets Regulation that. 107. That's, so right. That's right. That's why I sort of threw it in. So yeah. it can look sideways when mm. your policy fails, but mm. the problem I've had is they refer to a breach of the policy. That's right. That's a key point. So, the there is no, so there is no valid termination. No, I agree. Would Jonas succeed in an unlawful dismissal claim and what was the likelihood of reinstatement? I think, there, I think he would succeed, uh, absolutely. For two reasons. One, no valid, but if yeah. you got over that line, un unquestionably harsh. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And, and barely a process to begin with as yeah, well, absolutely. Right. Now, reinstatement, I think probably. Yeah, I think, I think so. probably. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think Prue's yeah. got herself in a bit of trouble. Absolutely, she's in real trouble. Yeah. Here, yeah. Okay, Jones brought a workers' compensation claim the day he was sent home saying he suffered emotional stress from home. That's the mm. relationship. He was dealt with un with. So should be. He was not dealt with. So he's dealt without. Yeah, with without mental, yeah. I wrote this, by the way, <laughs> and placed at risk into the street, feeling suicidal, drunk, and scared without support or intervention. Can I just say, in workers' compensation law, which I know is gummy mm. law, mm. okay, so it doesn't relate to any other workplace law. No. So would this be a breach of reasonable management action under mm. bullying? Could be, but not mm. necessarily. Mm. Is it definitely a breach of reasonable management action? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, not carried it, slamming the policy down, yeah. sending him out the door without checking on his health and well-being. It's all the classic examples. It's just, not not, just nonsense anyway. Mm. So anyway, not nonsense. It's workers' compensation law. He would succeed. Yeah, absolutely. Did Prue breach his safety obligations in not understanding a health check, ensuring he was safe when left and further ensuring there was someone to care for him when he went home? Mm. I think that, I don't think Prue would be prosecuted, but I think she'd have a good reason to be disciplined. Yeah. Because what she did is place the employee at risk. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Terrible risk. So. Yeah, without, you know, without, you know, she, she says that she's formed the reasonable view that he's intoxicated. Well, if you form that view, simply sending him out onto the street out the front without any concern, assistance. And knowing he doesn't have a wife to go to. Well, that's right, yeah. She, he's literally just told her that my situation no is safe worse. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, look, interesting stuff, I think. Oh, absolutely. I, I think, yeah. look, we've... The things I want to take out of today, and there's mm. some things I really want to concentrate. One is, I think drug and alcohol policies are good things to have at work. Yeah. We are chatting to, when we're doing recruiting today, I made it really clear this office doesn't do lunchtime drinking, mm. except in exceptional circumstance, and if people drink, they go home and they don't they don't come to work afterwards. Yes. Yeah. White collars should consider the fact that when people come to work, they come to actually perform at the highest level yeah. in their requirements yeah. of their job. And if they're going to be affected by drug and alcohol, Yes, there should be an educative element to it. Yeah, you shouldn't be yeah. shooting people on site with it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not if you're unable to do your job, mm. if you're unwilling to be fit, willing and able to mm. do your job, mm. what trust and confidence could you have in an employee? Oh. Thinks it's okay to come to work yeah. affected by alcohol Absolutely. Well, so, drug and alcohol, it's cultural. Yeah. So if it's cultural and you're not applying some sort of standard about that behaviour, you come into these things. So that's one thing I wanted to say about today. Mm. This is something which is a learning 
we've now got a judgment after a series of uh, what we call of it discussions yeah, 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 that yeah. say, look, this is a course you can take. Take it up and take a chance. Mm. The second one is where you see really high levels of risk exhibiting in your workplace, like heights, psychological hazards, and motorised mobile plant. Understand that the regulator are taking it is mm. taking a very different view, mm. and understand the courts are taking a much more stringent view and a much more aggressive in the penalties they're handing mm. out. And finally, we're seeing the new bits of legislation starting to pervade into everyday mm. practice. Mm. We've seen safety regulators prosecuting for bullying, yep. for sexual harassment. Yep. Now we've seen the first cases starting to come out of the new legislation mm. around sexual harassment. I want you to understand this is a whole new world. I don't want you to think that six months ago and now is the same. No, no, absolutely it not. Is, this is not a matter of tweaking the policy. Somebody mm. said at the presentation, so what do I need to do the policy? I said, well, step back. What do you need to do at a governance level, mm. given these positive duties that now yeah. exist to provide a safe place of work? That's the question you should be asking. That yes. has a whole lot of steps along the way. Absolutely. And I guess for Matt, Nina and I, we've mm. spent the last 12 to 20 weeks mm. saying it's coming. Yeah. And what we're now starting to see is the wave crashes. Is yeah. Every week, a new prosecution from the regulator. Mm. Every week, a new exploitation of mm. new provisions under the legislation. Yeah, exactly. Please don't think you can just change your policies and get out of jail. Yeah, very true. And also maybe don't hire children. <laughs> yeah, look on that note, mate. See you later, mate. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thumbs Thanks up. Bye, everyone. Thumbs up. Cheers. Bye-bye.